0: As the Money Burns is an original podcast by Nikki Woodard. Based on historical research, this is a deep exploration into what happened to a set of actual heirs and heiresses to some of America's most famous fortunes when the Great Depression hits. Each episode has three primary sections. Section 1 is an heir to story. Section 2 goes deeper into the historical facts. Section 3 focuses on contemporary, emotional, and personal connections. Story Recap Constant speculation surrounds heiresses Barbara Hutton and Doris Duke on potential mates, while Huntington-Hartford's secret marriage is finally exposed. Now back to As the Money Burns, Muscles and Ruffles. Their fortune might be gone, but one couple dances the night away while planning to rebuild another. Section 1. Story Inside Club Lido, the happening supper and dance spot with multiple national locations, has reopened its season in Manhattan. Music from the orchestra plays that fabulous big-band-era style of music. Across the dance floor, the husband-wife team, Medrano, and Donna show off their stuff with gusto. Alternating their tight Argentine style with the Parisian Apache fight, it's aggressive, sharp, and stunning. The Argentinian, Roberto Medrano, is an athletic sportsman, a he-man with muscles and ruffles with gentleman refinements. Black-haired and bright-eyed Donna, formerly Landwehr, is all-American a petite heiress from Michigan who found passion in Medrano's arms. After the couple finishes their last and most famous number, the ritual of the fire dance, they graciously leave the floor for a break and join one particular table with supreme hostess and coloratura Soprano opera star, Cobina Wright, and her blue-blooded stockbroker husband, William May Wright, a.k.a. Bill. The Wrights are enjoying a night on the town after a larger show. The Metropolitan Opera has recently reopened its 1931 season with a performance of La Traviata, Giuseppe Verdi's Italian opera based on The Lady of Camellia's Tale by Alexander Dumafi about a tuberculosis-riddled courtesan who finds love, rejection, and reunion with her young lover shortly before her death. Cobina and Bill are dining with several others. Cobina sparkles with her large earrings while she laughs and flirts with her handsome, blonde, curly-topped husband, Bill. But few may realize this might be one of their last nights out. Soon they will open another venture, one they hope will restore some of their lost fortune. Cobina glances over the large, non-alcoholic drink menu, taking mental notes. Bill sold the Slade, Wright & Company stock exchange seat back on April 24th, 1931, and the office closed by May 1931. Since then, Bill has been a bit aimless at home. They have done their best not to lose face to the rest of society. Once known for their fabulous parties, especially their annual circus ball in January, the Wrights have been economizing. Economizing in the elite sense. This summer, they still spend time at their Long Island home, the pink beachfront Sands Point property, Casa Cobina. Attending several activities, they mingle in hopes Bill will eventually regain his focus and begin building a new fortune. One better than the one wiped out in the stock market crash on October 29, 1929. Since that fatal call when Bill informed Cobina they lost everything, Cobina has hustled her way into new opportunities. She returns to the stage for several operatic displays and an occasional radio program. Like another actress, soprano singer Grace Blakely Hyde, who after getting a divorce resumes her stage career with both Broadway and radio performances. Another popular venture is the Supper Club. The rights are planning to open one of their own. Despite the ongoing restrictions due to prohibition, dinner and dancing remain popular activities. Kobina's signature guest list mixture of blue bloods and stars will surely draw a substantial paying crowd. Cabina, Bill, Medrano, and Donna all laugh with the other guests. A musical interlude hints at an upcoming song too irresistible to miss. Well aware of what will be next? Medrano stands up and offers his hand to Cabina, and Bill responds by escorting Donna to the dance floor. Both couples snap to attention. The beat distinct and seductive. A tango unfolds. Medrano leads Cabina across the floor, their cheeks touching, their form perfect. Two passes simple, clean, clear. No slouch himself, Bill, too, glides over the floor with Donna. She adds a flourish here and there. She's a bright flower without the usual disdainfulness of similar high-caliber dancers. The floor remains otherwise empty as everyone is mesmerized. Each couple shows off flair and ambition. Medrano twists and turns as to be expected, with Cabina, ever the expert performer, following flawlessly. As well, Bill proves more than up to the challenge, and Donna puts on a show. Slow, slow, quick, quick, slow. Amidst a pass, the couples exchange partners. Never have any of the Wright's former guests seen them dance with such precision and execution. Copina has always been a flamboyant performer. Bill enjoys a good time, but no one anticipated such mastery. They cascade over the floor dramatically. The heat between them rising. Could he be jealous of Medrano? Not to be outdone or challenged by a suave Latin lover. Cobina's eyes fill with love. Could it be Bill has finally truly come back to her? The Bill of yesteryear? The one she loved so much? A man on top of the world? Her provider and protector? A man good-natured? A passionate lover? All vanished with their fortune? All mired by persistent rumors of his other lovers. A secretary, another a close friend, a lawsuit for maintenance. Kobina fears she lost her husband, both in heart and soul. Now, on the dance floor, the flames of love stoke once again. For the finish, Bill twists and dips Kabina like an expert. The crowd erupts with applause. Kobina always looks at the world through rose-tinted glasses, and never as much when she looks at her beloved Bill. Late into the early morning, they get back to their home at Sutton Place. There is construction going on, and the downstairs is in a bit of disarray. Bill assists in removing her coat and goes to put it away. Going up the stairs, Kobina removes her large earrings. She glows and looks forward to a more passionate end of their evening. She heads up to their bedroom and the glorious purple Venetian canopy bed inside it and goes into the powder room. In front of her vanity mirror, she slips into a negligee and seductively adjusts her makeup and hair. When she emerges, she sees the bed empty. No bill. She goes looking for him and finds him half undressed and passed out in the guest bedroom. She goes over and removes his shoes and pulls the covers over him. Heading back to their room, she wipes away the tears from her eyes. She climbs into the bed alone. Moonlight beams pierce through their drapes. Only a few more weeks, then things will get better. He'll see. They will again be back on top. Only a few more weeks. Soon, news articles recount their evening out, with praises claiming that if Wust should ever come to financial bust, and that isn't likely, for Mr. and Mrs. William Mayright, they could easily reestablish the family fortunes as a song and dance team. Such a wonderful compliment, had it not so accidentally pointed out an embarrassing secret very soon to be revealed. Appearances can be so deceiving. <laughs> Section 2, History and Historiography Such a complicated time when so many things are happening all at once. These intertwining tales not only involve the stock market crash and the Great Depression, but also overlap with the eras known as Prohibition and the Jazz Age. We have heard tons of tales involving gangsters, rum runners, speakeasies, and smoky-filled jazz rooms. However, those weren't the only forms of entertainment. Motion picture films took off as the cheap price of entertainment, while higher ticketed places like the opera had a shift in attendance as long-held box seats were rented or sold off. During the 1931 Met season, Alice Vanderbilt will still rent out her seats for scheduled parts of the week, while others follow similar suit. J. Pierpont Morgan will be one of only three patrons to keep his parterre box in the diamond horseshoe all to himself. Then there's another form of entertainment, the supper club, several establishments offering dinner with another activity. It might be watching a theatrical or musical performance, listening to a singer or big band orchestra, and dancing. Club Lido is one establishment with several satellite locations which open seasonally throughout the year. The Manhattan locale is on 52nd and 7th Avenue, another on Hibiscus Island near Miami and Palm Beach areas for the winter colonists. Long Island has its own spot and yet another in the Los Angeles area. The first club Lido opens in 1924 with several to follow, and nightclub owner and manager Frank Garlasco manages from the mid-1920s and early 1930s. Film star Constant Bennett's sister Barbara Bennett will dance there with partner Maurice in 1925 and switches in 1926 to William Reardon. Reardon is a former partner of Irene Castle. Constance's ex-husband and former Barbara Hutton fiancé, Millionaire, Phil Plant will regularly be seen in the Palm Beach location, including the 1931 opening. Other popular restaurants, nightclubs, and dance spots include the Embassy Club both in London and New York, Coral Gables and Maz in Florida, the Savoy Ballroom in Harlem, as well as several hotels like the Pierre Hotel, the Savoy Plaza, and the newly opened Waldorf Astoria will all offer dinner with entertainment. The annual Peacock Ball is held at the Waldorf in November 1931. The ball is named after the original Gilded Age Waldorf Astoria Hotel's Peacock Alley and will make use of the new building's main ballroom, Astor Gallery, Basil Dawn, Jade, and Serp rooms. Barbara Hutton's cousin Helena McCann will aid in the debutante chair committee, which are raising funds for the poor, while Doris Duke will also attend. The evening's entertainment will include themes of a Parisian cafe, an Argentine tavern, and Russian, New York, and Cuban cabarets. Professional dance couples are definitely a rage and public draw at the establishments. There's a one 1940 news article that indicates married couples fare better and last longer than brother-sister teams. The latter generally suffers, especially after a marriage forces a split. Famous sibling dance teams include Grace and Ray McDonald, Vilma and Buddy Epson of the future Beverly Hillbillies, and Adele and Fred Astaire. It should be noted Fred's favorite partner of all time is definitely his sister, and he never takes another permanent partner after her and prefers to switch. So his name stays prominent. The original professional dance couple, trendsetters, are married Vernon and Irene Castle in 1910. Vernon dies in 1918 in a World War I related plane crash in Texas. Fred Astaire and his other famous partner, Ginger Rogers, will play the title roles in the 1939 film, The Story of Vernon and Irene Castle. The castles are followed by other married couples, Grace and Paul Hartman, Veloz and Yolanda, Maurice and Cordoba, and Medrano and Donna. Notice another trend in those last few names? Another wave appearing during this time is Spanish influence as homes are being built in California and the developing areas of Florida, like Palm Beach and the future Fort Lauderdale. I have also run across several advertisements regarding Spanish and Latin forms of entertainment. Reviews of music and dancers definitely appear in Florida and California, and as popularity increases, spreads to other parts of the country. We have already covered the solo Spanish flamenco dancers La Argentina and La Argentinita and that confusion over who performed at Barbara Hutton's debutante Paul in December 1930. It was La Argentina. In August 1921, new immigrant and teenager Roberto Medrano performs in Argentina, a South American melange of songs, melodies, and dances. By 1925, Medrano performs dances with Mademoiselle Donna Landwehr. As a young man, Medrano migrates to America from Buenos Aires and finds a life in dancing. Donna comes from a wealthy Michigan family with ties to the Holland Furnace Company. Donna joins Medrano, becoming Medrano and Donna, dancing across the country, including New York, Chicago, Baltimore, and especially Florida. In July 1928, her brother, Paul Landwehr, is one of four killed in a yachting accident on Black Lake in Michigan. 100 boats help immediately in the search, rescuing only two survivors, and it will take an extra day to recover the four bodies body parts. 21-year-old Medrano is injured in the crash and knocked unconscious for several hours with amnesia. The only other survivor, aviator, 21-year-old George Lyle, testifies the crash happened due to Paul's recklessness resulting in his speedboat colliding into a larger steamer's paddle blades. There will be a few press and legislation calls to ban or limit speedboats in Michigan with little success. Medrano and Donna continued dancing through the 1930s and will be featured in several ads. And another performer, Vivian Vance, of future I Love Lucy, appears with them in 1933 at the Empire Room in Chicago's Palmer House. The couple retires in 1939. In 1940, Donna will split an inheritance with her remaining brother and sister, resulting from the 1937 separate deaths of their father and several other family members. Two paternal uncles and maternal grandmother pass away within a very short period of time. After Medrano passes away in March 1950, Donna remarries lumberjack millionaire Cleveland Putnam a week shy of a year in March 1951. Another Latin influence comes in drinks. Rum is a particularly favorite alcohol for its easy brewing process, versatility with other mixers, and the closeness of Cuba, where many migrate for fun. All this talk of dance and supper clubs gives rise to wonder What would someone be drinking during Prohibition that was not alcohol? During Prohibition, it was forbidden to buy or sell alcohol, though people are technically allowed to drink the beverages. Six months before the Volstead Act gets enacted, passed on October 28, 1919 and enacted on January 17, 1920, many would stock up on supplies. Only Prohibition lasts for over 13 years until December 5, 1933. Early in 1920, Bertha Stockbridge published her second recipe book and what became an indispensable household aid, What to Drink, with many non-alcoholic recipes, and became an instant and dominant bestseller. Drinks with sugars, syrups, vinegars, malts, sours, fizzes, and other mixtures with juices and sodas. Cobblers, punches, sodas, ciders, juleps, tonics, and other mixtures rise to prominence. Frozen and ice recipes point to the increasing accessibility of refrigeration in public businesses and in private homes. To make drink menus seem more enticing, various fruit juices are added to specialty drinks. Ingredients might include oranges, grapes, loganberry, pineapple, raspberries, mint, and so much more. I'll provide a few recipes via As The Money Burns social media and the website with the transcript. Originally, bottled sodas and juices began during 1850s and became more prolific after the Civil War. Another bump comes in the 1920s, soda sales jumping 200% during the first six months of Prohibition. Canadian Dry Ginger Ale debuts as a popular mixer in 1922, and the packaging resembles tiny champagne bottles. The dry in the title referring to the alcohol-free beverages. By 1923, Pepsi Cola, nearly bankrupt, added more beverages, but the company didn't rebound until after the Great Depression. In 1929, Coca-Cola temporarily has the heavily mocked campaign slogan, The pause That Refreshes, though still present in a 1932 ad. The eventually renamed 7-Up is launched only two weeks before the stock market crash. As many sodas were first medicinal and developed by doctors, drugs would be in the mixtures for another decade or more and giving special buzz effects. Mood Stabilizer 7-Up originally had lithium citrate, the nerve tonic Coca-Cola, cocaine, and cola, and a trace of alcohol. Pepsi's or Brad's drink was for digestion, though it might have never contained the rumored enzyme pepsin. While Dr. Pepper did contain pepsin, Mountain Dew was developed as a chaser with bourbon during Prohibition. By the late 1920s, over 600 lemon sodas are available. As for those still wanting alcohol, as well as American bartenders seeking work, many will go overseas to locations in Cuba, London, Paris, and elsewhere. As for in America, rum and gin become the two most popular forms of alcohol, as they were the most simple and straightforward to make in their homemade varieties. So many cultural twists arise from this era that survive into the modern day, if only the featured fortunes would fare as well. section three contemporary and personal relevance as the pandemic subsides new troubles are surfacing these are definitely trying times and we must always remember that appearances can be deceiving social media has increased the need to appear successful and great by endlessly comparing the mundane of one's daily life with someone else's highlights. Maybe that's why there's such a fascination with the rich and elite during the Great Depression. It is human nature, after all. The fantasy element of ease coupled with the ever-around-the-corner betrayal and scandal. And yet, such speculation often ends in schadenfreude when the troubles come out. We learned many lessons from the Great Depression, ways to prevent complete collapse of society. So why are we headed into so much trouble now? Don't you feel there are so many secrets waiting to be spilled in our modern times? Scams, scandals, lies, betrayals. No arena will be unscathed. Industry, elites, politics, entertainment. We are now finally re engaging socially, but the world is changing so rapidly. Financial crimes are rising. Polarizing political views grow harsher, louder, and more divisive, splintering rather than cohesion. Rapid and sudden changes contrasting with the slow and drawn-out. I wonder what cultural trends will last for decades longer. Dark times can breed a lot of innovation and fuel ambition. What about foods and health trends? Will gluten, sugar, and fat-free remain at large? And might there be any new flavor fusions, combinations, or additions that will last longer than a fad? Social media will likely stay in one form or another, but we need to see the Elon Musk effect on that one. The recent rise in podcasts is one new form of entertainment, but what others are on the horizon? Especially music. I mean, every episode I peruse through Past Perfect's amazing catalog from that era, and am so amazed by their significance. Whose music will last like that again? Who will transcend? While energy and food insecurities are fast becoming an international concern, the U.S. Powerball this week peaked at the all-time high of $1.9 billion on Monday, November 7, 2022. Thus, some person or persons might have the golden ticket winning luxury and freedom from those kind of worries. But will that truly give them better fates? Or will they find themselves battling the dark sides of excessive wealth like our heirs and heiresses face? If you have been paying attention, you already know some of the fortunes that are already dwindling, but sure enough, the truths will eventually surface in our story, so stay tuned. Good news! My two webinars on the Waldorf Astoria Hotels are returning to New York Adventure Club Part 1 on Thursday, December 1st, 2022, and Part 2 on Thursday, December 8th, 2022, at 8pm Eastern and 5pm Pacific. Web links are available at www.nyadventureclub.com and the news and events section at asthemoneyburns.com. The fee is $10 each, with one week access after. If you enjoy As The Money Burns, then please share, like, and subscribe. Next, when we return to As The Money Burns... The national holiday arrives when many give thanks. But how grateful should some be when they knowingly face tougher times ahead? Until then. As the Money Burns is an original podcast written, produced, and voiced by Nikki Woodard, based on historical research. Archival music has been provided by Past Perfect Vintage Music. Check out their website at www.pastperfect.com. Please come visit us at As The Money Burns be good Goodpods, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Transcripts, timeline, episode guide, and character bios are available at AsTheMoneyBurns.com.